0: You know, when you read through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, that's, that chapter, if you're familiar with it, has a bit of a nickname. Does anyone know what we call that chapter? Faith chapter, or it's, it's full of heroes of the faith. Um, there's lists of person after person who has been a great hero of the faith in that chapter. It lists uh, people like... Um, Moses and Abraham and so many other great heroes of the faith who faced great obstacles and opposition, yet were used by God in mighty ways. And as you read through that chapter and about some of those great heroes of the faith, it can be very easy to think, well, I too have lots of obstacles and opposition in my life. Yet, I'm no great hero of the faith. But the truth is, they weren't great heroes either. We, we look at them in the distance and we think that about them. But the truth is, many of them felt small and weak. Many of them, believe it or not, had sinned in significant ways. They had blown it big time. So let me let you into a little secret about these great heroes of the faith, about all of these stories that we read. The secret is that the hero of all of these stories, the focal point, in fact, of the whole of the Bible is Jesus. He is our hero. He is the one that all of the Old Testament points to and the scripture culminates in. Today, uh, if you have your Bibles with you uh, or it'll come up on the screen, would you turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 4? 2nd Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be talking about King David. And although Jesus is the greatest hero of all, we're going to talk about David today as one of those great heroes of the faith, but not it's not what you think. It's not because he was a king. It's not because he was a great warrior. It's not because he slayed a giant. Or played a harp. Anyone here play a harp? I don't think so. That's a great thing. David is, can I call him an unlikely hero in many ways, because he failed so many times. But this morning I want to tell you about something that he did, something that David did that was so very unexpected, so very unlikely and kind. In fact, what David did points us to Jesus and his great and unexpected kindness towards us. The story is in 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 4. And the Bible says this. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old. When report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Now, it's very important for us to understand the relationships of these characters to one another. Just so that we get it clear in our head, I've done a little bit of a pictorial kind of diagram here. So first up, we have King Saul. That's the first. We've got Saul. He's the king over all of Israel at this time. In this story, he's the current king, King Saul. Then we have his son, Jonathan. So King Saul, his son Jonathan, and then we have Mephibosheth, who is the son of Jonathan. Is anyone going to say Mephibosheth? I'm going to do my best to keep it right every time I say it today. I've been practicing it. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, and then you have David. Now David is going to be the king He's not related to Saul. He's not related to Jonathan. He's not related to Mephibosheth. He's very good friends with Jonathan. But he's not yet the king. David is going to succeed Saul as king. So this is the David, as in David and Goliath. This is the David who is uh, one of the great heroes uh, of the faith. And so these are our characters in in the passage today, in today's story. Now picture in your mind what is taking place here at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 4. You've got uh, the king's grandson, Mephibosheth. He's five years old. He's playing out in the royal courtyard, having a royally fun day, doing whatever royal kids do. And then the palace doors burst open. Everything descends into chaos People are yelling and screaming. They're wondering, he's, he's wondering what is going on. And they tell him that his dad, who's his dad? Jonathan. And his granddad, who's his granddad? Saul. That they have both been killed in battle. This is what's being described in this passage, this particular day. Mephibosheth finds out that his father and his grandfather had been killed in battle, but it gets worse if that wasn't bad enough. They're all in a panic because now David is on his way to the palace to assume power, to take on the the position of king. Now, that is a problem for Mephibosheth. Because any time the royal line changed from one family to another, history tells us what would happen to the old family. They would be all put to death, wiped out, killed off, because you don't want there to be a potential heir to the throne left alive when you take over the throne. So everyone in the palace, they're, they're freaking out. They're thinking that they're going to be killed, especially and including Mephibosheth. Because his grandfather had been killed. His father had been killed, which puts him, Mephibosheth, next in line for the throne. But David's coming, and so he's the number one target for David. Um, So he's Mephibosheth, five years old. Grandfather dead, father dead. David's on his way. They believed to kill him. So you need to understand the the perspective of this five-year-old. To him, David was iconic. He was, you know, like if you've got movie star heroes or rock star heroes, David was that to Mephibosheth. He he was a great person uh, and personality and figure in the days, those days in Israel. He had already killed G- uh, Goliath. Do you know anybody who's killed a giant? You know, he he had a a great reputation. He was one of Saul's top generals. He won many battles. In fact, we're told in the Old Testament that when the warriors would return and come back from battle, the people would sing a song, and the song would go something like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. So David was this iconic figure. Also, we know that David and Jonathan were really good friends. They were, they were best friends. They were very close friends. And so David was probably quite the hero to Mephibosheth. And because of uh, David's friendship with Jonathan, no doubt David was a little bit of like an uncle to him, Uncle David. So Mephibosheth is there. My granddad has just been killed. My dad's been killed in battle. And now David's coming But it's going to be okay, isn't it? Because Uncle Dave's coming. And they're saying, no, 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 no. He's coming to kill you. And in their panic, one of the nursemaids picks this little five-year-old boy up and runs from the palace with him. And as she does, she drops him and breaks both his legs. She picks him up because there's no time to to set a cast or a splint and they just run with him from the palace because they're afraid that David is going to kill him. They run from the palace and they leave that place and they go to a place, Scripture tells us, is called Lodabar. Lodabar. Dad's dead. Grandfather's dead. David, who he thought he could trust. Uncle Dave's coming to, to kill me. His legs are broken. Can it get any worse? whole world is uprooted, turned upside down, taken from the palace to a distant place, far from all that he knew. And I want to ask you today, I wonder if you've ever had a Mephibosheth moment like that. I'm going to call that a Mephibosheth moment where, you know, you're sitting back in your armchair, your own little palace. Life is good living the royal life, and then all of a sudden there's a Mephibosheth moment. Everything changes. Maybe the phone call, uh, rings and it's your doctor saying, I've got some bad news for you. One day you're fine. The next day everything's turned upside down. Maybe it's your work. You've got, you've got a job and you find out they've gone broke or your boss doesn't want you anymore, and all of a sudden there's this financial stress and pressure. What am I going to do? And your whole world is turned upside down. That's a Mephibosheth Moment. Maybe it's that there was someone who you thought you could trust and they've violated your trust. Maybe there's a relationship that you thought would go the distance, but it's falling apart right in front of you and it turns your whole world upside down just like that moment did for Mephibosheth. And for this young man, Mephibosheth, years go by. Years go by and nothing happens, nothing changes. He's stuck out in that place, low to bar. He doesn't get healed, he doesn't get helped. He's just a broken young man. But the story of Mephibosheth isn't over. You see, one day the Bible says, and if you flip over a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 9, one day the Bible says, King David asks this question. He says, Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Anyone still alive from Saul's family? Anyone to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, from what we know about what would take place when there was a new ruler, a new king, and what they would do to the old king's family That is a strange question, a strange statement for David to to make, right? Unless you understand the context, unless you understand that back in their younger years, when Jonathan and David were close friends, spending time together, at one point scripture says that David had been anointed to be the future king by Samuel. But Samuel anointed David as the future king and Jonathan knew this and so he spoke to David Jonathan spoke to David and he said listen uh friend when you become king would you show kindness to me and my family because remember it wouldn't be a good thing for Jonathan or his family if the royal line changed so he says would you show kindness to me and to my family and David promises to Jonathan that he will show kindness to him and his family when he becomes king. And the Bible records then in 2 Samuel, 1, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 that one day, and I don't know when and I don't know where, but one day he remembers that promise to his dear friend Jonathan, who had been previously killed in battle. And he says, is there anyone left in Saul's family, anyone left alive to whom I can show kindness to, For Jonathan's sake, for my friend Jonathan, who I made that promise to many years ago. I want to honor that and show favor to someone, show uh, kindness to someone in his family. And so they they summoned this servant, this guy named Zeba, who was one of Saul's servants. And they asked him this question and Zeba replies to King David. He says, yes, well, there is one of Jonathan's sons still alive, but but you don't you don't have to worry about him. He he he's crippled in both feet. He's no threat to you. He, don't you don't need to worry about him. And he just kind of dismisses this young man who was heir to the throne. Don't worry about him. He he won't threaten you. He can't cause any trouble for you. But that's not why David was asking, was it? And so he says, "Where is this man?" And Zebu replies, Well, he's out in Lodabar at the house of Machiah. And David says, We'll go get him. Now, you need to understand that names in the Bible, names of people and places in the Bible, mean things. And the name Lodabar meant a place with no bread, place of no bread. It was an arid, dry, desolate place. Mephibosheth had been hiding out there in this distant, dry place of no bread. It wasn't a place of flourishing; the place of the opposite. In addition to that, it's very interesting if you uh, read through the genealogy of King Saul in First Chronicles chapter eight. Mephibosheth was not actually his given name. His given name was Meribah, which meant opponent of Baal. Now, Baal was an Old Testament false god, and his name was one who opposes false gods, an opponent of Baal. But somehow his name got changed from Meribah, opponent of Baal, to Mephibosheth, which means son of shame. Five years old, this boy lost his father, his grandfather. His legs are broken. The man he thought he could trust, the man he idolized, Uncle David, coming to kill him. He's taken from his palace to some desolate place. His name and, in in fact, his character and his destiny changed from opponent of Baal, opponent of false gods, what a great name to have, to son of shame. 2 Samuel chapter 9, he's no longer a child anymore. He's all grown up. Ziba comes, knocks on the door and says, hey, King David wants to see you. Now for Mephibosheth, do you think he thought that was good news or bad news? I think he thought it was bad news. I don't think he was thinking, sweet, this is the day I've been waiting for. No, 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 this is the nightmare that had haunted him for years, perhaps decades, because no doubt he had grown up since that moment now hating David, because it's David's fault that I'm out here, not in the palace, out here in this desolate place. It's David's fault that I'm a fugitive. It's David's fault that my legs are broken and I can't walk. It's David's fault. He wants me dead. But this is where this story takes an unlikely turn. We see David's response is quite different to what Mephibosheth had feared. We pick up the story in verse seven of Second Ch- Samuel chapter nine, and David says this: He says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul." and you will eat with me here at the king's table. Verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? What a terrible thing to say about himself. But what a terrible self-concept to have. I'm, I'm, just, I'm like a dead dog. See, all of these years of hiding had made... Mephibosheth, think of himself as worthless. And sometimes the difficult, painful circumstances of our lives cause us to think of ourselves as worthless, like we don't matter to anyone, kicked to the curb like a dead dog, not worthy of anyone's attention, not worthy of God's attention, of God's blessing. Not worthy of God's goodness. So we give up. You see, for Mephibosheth, in this moment, as he's receiving these blessings from King David, everything that he had believed, everything that he had known, everything that he had internalized about David had been wrong. Everything that he had thought, everything that he would had thought was about to happen to him. Everything that he knew David stood for, everything that he he believed David wanted to do to him was wrong. And sometimes we find ourselves in a similar position spiritually, out in a place like Lodabar, a desolate place. Spiritually, we feel like we've been forsaken, where we begin to believe and internalize these things about God that just aren't true. We think, oh, he's mad at me because I haven't been doing what I know I should be doing. He's mad at me or he's upset with me and he's just waiting to punish me. Or maybe it's been that you've carried guilt and shame for years. Maybe for something that wasn't even your fault. And you think God is angry at you. And you need to hear today. You need to hear that that is just wrong. It's wrong. You see, in the same way that David had this unlikely and different outcome for Mephibosheth, God's desire is to bless you. God's desire is to bring you a hope and a future. This is the twist in the story for Mephibosheth that is also a twist in God's story for you. David says to Ziba, he says in verse 9, Ziba, I'm going to give Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, so Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, everything that belonged to Saul and to his family is fully restored. He gives Mephibosheth all of King Saul's land, everything that had belonged to, to King Saul, his grandfather. Then David says to Zeba, also you and your household, all 35 of you servants, you're now actually going to serve Mephibosheth, and I love this part in verse 11. It says, from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. This kid, who from a very young age had all of these terrible, terrible things happen to him. Not his fault, all a big misunderstanding really. All of these years go by and then all of a sudden there's this beautiful story of restoration with David bringing him into the palace and to the place of honour and blessing. Full restoration. We love stories like this, don't we? We love it when when we see someone who, who perhaps didn't really deserve the hardships that they were dealt all of a sudden being restored and vindicated. We, we love stories of mercy and redemption because these kinds of stories, this story of Mephibosheth, this little boy who had this terrible beginning, ends up being so, uh, such a beautiful ending. That type of story is kind of etched onto the very DNA of our souls because you've got to understand that we are Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. I mean, the story of Mephibosheth is a true story. These are historical characters uh, recorded in the Old Testament, but this is also a picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And so in the time I have remaining, I've got three quick points that I want to show you. Here's how this is our story. This is our story because, first of all, like Mephibosheth, we are all fallen and broken. We're all fallen and broken, maybe not broken physically, not broken legs, every single one of us is fallen and broken spiritually. You see in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, the Bible says everyone, not just some of us, everyone has sinned and we all fall short of the glorious standard of God, God's glorious, glorious standard. We all fall short. I don't know if you've ever done a Greek study, looked up the Greek words, I have some tools often look up the Greek words and uh, where it says we all fall short of god's glory i looked up the greek word for all you know what it means it means all every one of us none of us can stand before god we've all been marked by sin in a way that means that the image of god in us has been broken So in the same way that Mephibosheth had fallen and was broken physically, we too are fallen and broken spiritually. Number two, second thought, just as Mephibosheth was pursued by King David, we we are pursued by the king. We're pursued by the king, not a king that's here on earth that can grant us land and some kind of material possessions. We're pursued by the king of kings. We are pursued by King Jesus. He doesn't let us out of his sight. He loves us and wants to do kindness, show kindness towards us. In John chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's what some of us think. We think if we come to Jesus, we're going to be condemned. No, no, no. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He had something kind, an unexpected twist. More than the world would ever think, he sent him in the son, uh, his son to the world so that he could save the world through him. A kindness was shown to us. That's the twist to our story. The same truth is true for us that Mephibosheth was pursued by the king, yes, by King David, but we have been pursued by a better king, by the king of kings, King Jesus. And so we were fallen and broken, and we have been pursued by the king, and then last. The third point is that we are invited to the king's table. We're invited to the king's table. The Bible says the Mephibosheth ate regularly at the table, at the king's table, like one of the king's own sons. And when he sat at the king's table, it's important for us to picture this. It's important for us to understand this. When he sat at the king's table, there in his broken condition, his broken legs, his crippled legs were covered by the king's table. And when people looked at Mephibosheth sitting there at the king's table, they didn't see a broken young man. They saw someone who was restored, someone with position, someone who had been granted a seat at the king's table, someone who was like one of the king's own sons. And in the same way, in the same way, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his blood that was shed for us, it covers our spiritual condition. It covers our spiritually broken condition. And through Jesus, we are invited to a seat at the king's table where we are made whole and complete because the sacrifice of Jesus covers our sins in the same way that at the table, the Mephibosheth's brokenness was covered. And because of Jesus' sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins, we are invited to the table and into his family as one of the king's own sons and daughters. You and I are welcomed into the king's family as a son and a daughter. See, so you, may, you may think that you are broken and worthless, but God says you are chosen and invited luke chapter 22 jesus says these words i said he says i now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom you are chosen and invited final verse 13 second samuel chapter 9 verse 13 it says and mephibosheth who was crippled in both feet lived in jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. This is beautiful. It's unexpected. It's a kindness that David did for Mephibosheth. It's a kindness that Jesus has done for us, for you and for me. You could insert your name into the blank of this verse, and you, who was fallen and broken, now is invited to eat regularly at the king's table. Why don't you say it with me and say your name in there? And Rob Simpson, who was fallen and broken, now eats regularly at the king's table. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a great kindness of God that he has shown to us? You see, we were fallen and broken, but we have been pursued by the king. And at the king's table, our sin is covered. Our brokenness is healed. We are made whole. We are restored. And even though you may think that your messed up and worthless the good news is that god says you are chosen and invited let me pray with you now father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for your truth and the powerful beauty of this story that is not just a story that happened to mephibosheth but a story that can happen to us we pray that these truths would take deep root in our hearts and our souls today and as we continue to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed, just in this moment before the Lord, I want to talk to you and just lead you a little bit longer. Maybe, maybe you find yourself today as you reflect at a place where your world has been turned upside down like Mephibosheth that day. Maybe you've had some bad news or there's a difficult situation and you just need God's assurance that in the very midst of this difficulty, in the very midst of this trial, that he's with you and that he's good and that he's at work in this situation. And, and, and if that's you today, those of you who would say, yes, there's, there's a challenge that I'm facing. There's a difficulty going on. I've had a bit of a Mephibosheth moment. I need God to kind of come through for me and show his kindness, his goodness. I need prayer for my Mephibosheth. Moment for my mephibosheth circumstance. If that's you, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder if you'd just raise your hand up to God so that I could pray for you. Yep, 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 yep. yep. That's good. God hears our prayers. He sees the circumstances of our hearts and the circumstances of our lives. Father, I pray that even the in the midst of these circumstances that these folk are, are facing where we we don't understand all of your plans and your purposes, I pray that we would receive that peace that only comes from you, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that in the midst of these trials, these difficulties, that these ones are facing, that we will see you at work in these things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. As we continue in prayer, perhaps there's others of you here today and you've heard this beautiful story of redemption and it has stirred something deep inside of your heart and you wonder to yourself could this be true I want you to know it is true it is true the beautiful thing is that we're pursued by the King King Jesus he's pursuing you he alone can bring us forgiveness because of the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. You see, Mephibosheth couldn't do anything to earn King David's favor or the blessing that David gave him. And in the same way, there's no way that we can earn God's goodness. There's no way that we can deserve his forgiveness in our lives. But while we were still sinners, Scripture says Jesus came and he gave his life and he died for us. It is the free gift of God and he is pursuing you right now. That thing that has stirred inside of you at this very moment is the Spirit of God revealing your need for forgiveness. That is the King of kings pursuing you. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to him, his sacrifice covers our sin and makes us whole, makes us new. Perhaps there are those of you here today or watching online who need to say yes to a relationship with Jesus, to find forgiveness and to find purpose, to find meaning and truth, to find completeness, wholeness, healing through the King of kings who is pursuing you in this very moment so that you can be made new, so that you can be made whole and restored, so that you can be one of his very sons and daughters if that's you, if that's the decision that you're wanting to make, if you want to be made new, made whole, if you want to be healed spiritually, adopted into his family, I wonder if now while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you would just raise your hand or if you're watching online, you might want to just uh, let us know through um, uh, reaching out through, us, through an email. If you're here today and you want to receive that forgiveness, be made new, whole and heal, would you raise your hand and say to Jesus, yes, yes, I belong to you. Yes, I'm yours now. Yes, that's great. Thank you for raising your hand. We say yes to you, Jesus. Yes, come, be my Lord, be my saviour, be my king. Make me whole. Cover my sin with your forgiveness. Make me your child, your son, your daughter today, that I would be with you in eternity from this day forward, as your child, that's your prayer God has heard you and he has forgiven you, he has made you whole and you now belong to him. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you're in the business of changing hearts, changing destination, changing lives. You're in the restoration business. You restore us to the very image of, of God that was, was scarred in us from the start, but is being made whole as we follow you. Jesus, you've, you've changed us and you're continuing to change us as we follow you. Thank you for your kindness towards us and your good work in our lives. We love you and we seek to, to follow you and live for you. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.